This is the Ray Hanania on Politics podcast, which explores issues I raise in my award-winning syndicated political columns that run in Chicagoland newspapers each week. You can get information on all my writings and my podcasts by visiting www.hanania.com. Thank you for listening. I always want to hear your thoughts, so feel free to email me your comments. So I get a lot of questions about who's going to win the presidential election, and I'm thinking, okay, like it matters. Like they're different? Come on. Nobody's different. Politics is all the same at the national level. It's just the difference in the politicians is how they make the argument. You know, under Obama, he would smile and say happy talk, and happy talk made you feel good. And then you thought, oh, good, this guy's going to be great. But turned out he didn't do really much. A couple things, but nothing. They've turned him into a god, and... You know what? He's not a bad guy, but he's not a god either. Trump, he's not a bad guy either, but they made him into the worst. He's like a, they, the media, especially, they've demonized him so badly that you can't even say anything good about him without being attacked personally. And, you know, he can't even, you know, get fair treatment from the media, so you're not really looking at real issues. You know, when you're reading the media reports and the coverage, what you're seeing is media bias because the news media, they're the real criminals and all this. They're not fair. They're not objective anymore. They're not reporting. They're uh, advocating. They've become advocates. They're writing opinion disguised as balanced, fair news. It's all opinion. It's partisan spin. And they hate Trump. And the re- and I'm telling you, the media loves this fight, this division, this uh, uh, how the United States is split the divide, the anger that exists. That's good for the media. The media's making money. They were on the verge of collapse four years ago, and then suddenly Trump comes into office and angers people, and they start spinning, um, and it divides America. So now the media has half the country on their side. <laughs> and they're, and, the, and the, you know now they have a base. Before when it was like uh, objective reporting and it wasn't as controversial, probably 80% of the people didn't care. But today, there's less than 2% of the people who don't care. The 98% of the people care and they're split, half for Trump and half against Trump. But how has uh, recent events over the last six weeks impacted the presidential election? I'll tell you. When uh, the focus was on Black Lives Matter, and the issue of violence and crime and looting and arson uh, and uh, murders, the police attacks, that put a f- special emphasis on, on fear that a lot of the Black Lives Matter protesters, which are, were being pumped up by the news media, were advocating that they would defund the police department. And defunding the police department is the stupidest, dumbest thing I've ever heard. The the fact that anybody even argues that is insane. So, But that's what they're arguing. They want to defund the police department. And as long as that was the focus, Trump had a big edge. Because Trump was the only candidate who was really talking about protecting people from empowering criminals. Because Black Lives Matter, for the most part, they're very fair. I mean, they they are they're, they're principled. They want to stand up against racism, and I get that. I agree with it. But I'd say about twenty to thirty percent of the protesters 
um, were driven by other motives that included criminal activity, looting, destroying property, uh, anger because maybe they were not making as much money as they wanted. The coronavirus has caused great economic despair in this country. So people who were struggling are now even struggling worse. And people who were, on the, who were just making it are now struggling. So that creates an anger where you want something, you feel you deserve it. Um, so that anger translates into violence. So during the Black Lives Matter protest, you would see violence. And instead of standing up to it, the Black Lives Matter group allowed it to go on. And some of the leaders of Black Lives Matter even said that, you know, the violence was just an expression of the need for justice. That's ridiculous. That coddling of violence, that coddling of the looters. Um, and so many people have uh, stood in the way of prosecuting the looters and the criminals. They, they're getting away with it, and that's wrong, and it's scary. And that expanded into the destruction of uh, history and statues, you know, tearing down the Columbus statue. You know, nobody voted to tear down the Columbus statue. There was no democratic process. It was torn down by a group of thugs who, because they were boisterous and violent, were able to do what they wanted to do, and because the police were being intimidated uh, by the politicians who told them, pull back, don't do what you're supposed to do, because, you know, they're worried about the political ramifications. Um, that type of thing created a terrible atmosphere of fear, and that fear of rising crime really touched us, the base in the center, that swing vote, that swing vote that isn't a radical left or radical right, that swing vote was swinging to Trump. The, and, and a lot of Democrats who especially were in the center, or a little conservative, were supporting Trump because they believe that crime element is the most serious problem and he would do a good job. But two weeks ago that changed when Trump got the coronavirus. Uh, and you've got to blame Trump because Trump, uh, he has not been the best candidate or politician or government leader. He said some stupid things. Him and his Twitter account, I'm tired of reading these stupid tweets that he sends out. You cannot argue Twitter effectively, uh, any issue on Twitter effectively. You're limited to a couple hundred characters, which limits the number of words that you can publish. And when you do that, you can't make a coherent argument. So it sounds stupid, and yet he does that. What he really needs is good PR, and he doesn't have it. He has nobody that maintains good public relations to keep him straight and keep his message focused and effective. So he's, he's sloppy. His politics is sloppy. So when he got sick, it, the whole issue turned from standing up to violence and criminals to an issue of coronavirus hypocrisy. Because Trump doesn't believe, like many radicals on the far right, they don't believe in wearing face masks. Um, they think that a face, wearing a face mask is a violation of the, your constitutional right to decide what to do. That's crazy stuff. We're talking about people's lives and people's health. So these people in the center are now looking at him wondering, how come he got all those uh, experimental uh, uh, drugs? Uh, 
uh, when he got coronavirus, when he was diagnosed with COVID-19? How come he got that coronavirus and uh, treatment, but we can't? And how about this hydrochloric, uh, hydrochlor the hydrochloroquine, you know, that uh, uh, he touted and said, oh, that was a great uh, way to, you know, protect yourself from the virus. He didn't use that. He could have, but he didn't use it after arguing that it was so good. So he looks weak. And when, it, when the focus shifted nationally in America from standing up against the criminals to uh, this wacky, far-right perspective on coronavirus and COVID-19, his base started to fall. Now, I don't know if he's going to lose. I still think it's very tough to beat an incumbent. Um, the only way they beat uh, H.W. Uh, George H.W. Bush was, in Ro when, was when Ross Perot took away, what, 20% or whatever vote. Uh, a third-party popular candidate really undermined, who was leaning to the right, undermined the Republicans in that election. So Bill Clinton won. But we don't have that scenario now. What we have now is the public that's the centrist vote that gave Trump the mandate four years ago, even though Hillary Clinton won the popular vote, beating Trump by three million votes. The problem with that is we don't elect a president based on popular vote. That's the wrong way to elect a president because if that's the way we did it, New York and California and Illinois would pretty much run the country and the rest of the country would go to hell. Um, so we have an electoral college system where you win votes in each state, and for each state that you win, you get a proportionate number of electoral college delegates. Um, and that is the best system to guarantee that every state um, has an equal voice in electing a president based on the population and based on the percentage of how that population votes. Um, changing that would pretty much destroy the uh the system of giving everybody an equal say on who becomes the president of the United States. But that was the problem with the polling four years ago. Polling said that Trump was going to lose, that Hillary was going to win. The same polling today that says Biden is going to beat Trump. You can't believe the polling because the polling is based on popular vote. It's not based on a, 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 a portioned uh, assessment of state-by-state state voting. In other words, they don't break the polling surveys into, well, 10 calls in Vermont, you know, 5 in New Hampshire, uh, 20 in California, uh, 20 in Texas. They just do a vote across the country, and they try to balance it between Republicans and Democrats. Of course, the polling is going to show that the left, Biden, is going to win. Because I'm telling you, those big cities, those big urban areas, which are far vocal, more vocal than a lot of those uh, country areas, a lot of the Midwest states, um, they're more vocal and they're going to have a greater influence. So I don't believe the polling. Um, I don't believe it. I think Trump still has an edge, and it really comes down to several states. There, it, when you look at the states, the 50 states, you can see the ones that Hillary Clinton won. And she won many of those states like Washington, Oregon, California by significant percentage points, as much as eight or nine points. Uh, Vermont, Maine, New York, 
uh, 59% to 36% for Trump. Um, New Hampshire, New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia, Minnesota. There are two states among her wins that are very close, like uh, New Hampshire and Minnesota, that Trump could win. They're only like one percentage point difference. Um, and those are small, but they're only like Minnesota is 10 delegates and New York is 7 delegates. Trump won solid majorities in a number of states, Montana, Idaho. These are hardcore Republican areas, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, uh, Arkansas, Louisiana, South Carolina, Alaska, Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee, Mississippi, uh, Alabama, Indiana. He won by as much as 10%, between 3 and 10% in those big states. There are seven states, though, that are in contention. Four of them are close, like not real close, but uh, Trump won them, but they're within a few percentage points that Hillary could, if she turns the vote around, she could make some uh, advances voter-wise in those states. Like Ohio, for example, Trump won that state 51% to 43%. Now, can Hillary win Ohio? I mean, can Biden win Ohio? I'm not sure, but I think he can get a better... Uh, turnout than uh, Hillary got, uh, but can he win? He'll get closer to Trump, but close doesn't count. Ohio has 18 electoral college votes. Michigan is another one. Trump won at 47% to 42%. That's a 5% spread. That may not sound like a lot, but that is a lot. So maybe uh, Biden can make it uh, closer to the the gap to about 1% rather than 5%, but even at 1%, below uh, Trump, Trump still wins, and he takes 16 delegates in Michigan. Ohio, the difference was 10%. I, I'm sorry, Iowa, the difference was 10%, uh, 51% to 41%, but that we're only talking about six uh, delegate votes, and Georgia was 50% to 45%. Those four states, Ohio, Michigan, Iowa, and Georgia, are potential uh, Biden wins, but he's going to have to work really hard to bridge the gap, the significant difference between the vote that Hillary got and that Trump got. Three states, however, could change this whole election, Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina. Pennsylvania, Trump and Hillary were close, 48 to 47 percent, 48.2 to 47.5. That's less than 0.7 percent. That's under a 1 percent difference. Hillary could take Pennsylvania. Trump needs to win that. That's one of the critical uh, battleground states that you watch on election day and it'll pretty much tell you whether Trump is going to win or lose to Biden if Biden takes Pennsylvania. That's 20 delegate votes. Florida is another one. Trump won Florida by only 48.6% to Hillary who lost by 40 to with 47.4%. So right there you're talking about 1.2% difference. There's a chance in this conservative state that she could bring her, that uh, Biden could bring his number up, but can he take the state? That's 29 delegates. That means there are a lot of voters there, so that 1.2% is is a huge number of votes that you have to change. It's not a small number. It's huge. It could be millions. Um, and then the other state, the third battleground state, these are the three most important states that on election night you watch to see how the elections are going. The third one is North Carolina. North Carolina 
Uh, Trump won by 49.8%, uh, which was about 2.6% more than Hillary's 46.2% vote. They have 15 delegates. That one is a borderline state also. These are battleground states, Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina. If Trump loses those three states, he cannot win re-election. Um, but if he holds those three states, I think that the chances are that nothing is going to change. You need 270 delegates. Um, you win those three states, that's a significant flip. You've got to win two of those three states. Uh, Biden has to win two of those three states, Pennsylvania, Florida, or North Carolina, to win. He, Biden would have to win three of those secondary states, like Ohio, Michigan, o Iowa, and Georgia, in order for him to win. So there are seven states where there are going to be fights and we might see some differences and I think that's where you got to focus again the top three Pennsylvania Florida and North Carolina those are big ones and if Trump loses any of those he's in serious trouble the secondary battleground states are Ohio Michigan Iowa and Georgia if Biden takes three of those four states and everything stays the same he could win the presidency um, so seven states are up for grabs, um, and if you look at those, Georgia, Iowa, Michigan, and Ohio in the lower group, and Pennsylvania, Florida, and North Carolina in the higher group, um, those are going to be the ones you want to watch. Anyway, I'm Ray Hanania. Go to my website at Hanania.com so you can get information on my uh, new radio show, The Ray Hanania Show, which is uh, sponsored by the Arab News newspaper, where we talk about Middle East issues, you know, because uh, as much as I love to write about uh, American mainstream political issues, I love to write about Middle East politics. You've been listening to the Ray Hanania on Politics podcast. Visit www.hanania.com for all my podcasts, my award-winning syndicated columns on Chicagoland politics, and my columns on Middle East politics. Thank you for listening.